This episode is brought to you by Skinny Pop Popcorn. Perfectly popped, endlessly delicious. Oh, so light and crunchy. Skinny Pop Original Popcorn is the snack you've been searching for. Made with just three simple ingredients, popcorn kernels, sunflower oil, and salt. Snacking never felt or tasted so good. Perfectly popped, endlessly delicious. Give yourself permission to snack and pick up Skinny Pop Original Popcorn today. The legends are true. Overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of McDonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! I participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. You're listening to Slice of Cheese with Jenny Linford on Food FM. Savour the crunch of Peter's Yard sourdough crackers. Available at Waitrose, Tesco, Sainsbury's, Morrison's, Ocado, Amazon and specialist food retailers. To find out more about Food FM and our content, go to foodfmradio.com. Hello. Welcome to A Slice of Cheese, the Food FM radio series that celebrates the world of cheese. I'm Jenny Linford, a food writer and cheese enthusiast, the author of Great British Cheeses. Cheese is a delicious and fascinating food, and we're setting out to explore this remarkable food and share the stories of the people who make, sell and love it. Blue cheeses are so distinctive and characterful. They have a Marmite aspect, with people either loving or hating them. I'm firmly a blue cheese lover, so thoroughly enjoyed making this episode. Spanish cheese expert Rupert Linton of Brindisa, the Spanish food company, takes me on a journey through the rich world of Spain's blue cheeses, including Cabrales. British cheesemaker Mary Davenport tells the story of Coat Hill Blue, and cheese writer Patrick McGuigan, co-author with Matthew Carver of Cheese Life, tells me about France's iconic Roquefort cheese. Online, on smart speakers, and on Listen Again, this is Food FM. This week on A Slice of Cheese, we're looking at the wonderful world of blue cheeses. I'm very happy to have with me today Rupert Linton of Brindisa, the Spanish quality food importers who've done so much to sort of trailblaze Spanish ingredients here in the UK. Good morning, Rupert. Good morning, Jenny. I was thinking about Spanish cheese, and I think, you know, lots of people have heard, I think, of Manchego, but perhaps they're less familiar with the Spanish blue cheeses. And I thought it'd be really interesting to get your thoughts. I mean, there's, there's a sort of a really distinctive group of blue cheeses in Spain, isn't there? It is a big part of Spanish cheese culture. Yeah, no, yeah definitely, yes. There's a, an area in the, in northern Spain, in the, the mountains of Asturias, just uh, west of the Basque country, really, which uh, is, I think of as, as the heartland of um, Spanish blue cheeses. There's uh, Cabrales is probably the most famous, or notorious, Spanish blue cheeses. Powerful, you know, uh, yes, it's sort of, you feel like a, it's a beast of a cheese. I think it might even be on your Brindisa website. It's, it's, um, yes. it's, it's pokey, isn't it? It's potent, isn't it? Yeah, you know, no, no, it's, it's a really powerful, powerful cheese, but it's but strangely compulsive as well. Once, you, once you've started, once you've started eating it, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's very enjoyable. Yeah. Yeah. And you the, can't and taste the... anything for the rest of the day, but that's, it. <laughs> yeah. that's good to know. Um, I think. Did you mention the, the mountain? That it was mountainous, which I'm guessing uh, is relevant. Yes. Is that yes. Right? Yes. So, 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 what makes this area of Asturias uh, special and, and and appropriate for blue cheeses is that it's a it's a it's a mountain range, which is 
about 40 kilometers in inland from 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 the coast in the bay of biscay it's a limestone mountain range so it's kind of it's got some of the deepest caves in the world mm-hmm. uh, it's you know it's very you know uh, a very popular place for, for potholing and uh, and so traditionally the farmers have in in that area have used these limestone caves for for aging cheeses and uh, one of the re- requirements for, for the cabralis uh, denomination of origin is that your cave needs to have a stream running through it amazing so that's a particular so, what humidity in the air then to help help the cheese yes yeah cool. yeah i mean i must say it doesn't it doesn't seem to be that difficult because uh, whenever you go into these caves there's you know the stalactites and, and, yeah. and there's water like you know, dripping down and, <laughs> Lots of dripping. So, yeah yeah it's very atmospheric yeah. to, to visit them then you visited some well, of yeah, them because a lot of them don't have any electricity so when you go in you know you're wearing a, a head torch like a you know mountaineering head torch to, to to get in there and in, in um the cabralis that, that we uh, import from a cheesemaker called pepe vada uh his highest cave uh he has to take the cheeses up by um in his rucksack right. he always yeah. takes advantage of all the visitors and everyone gets a rucksack full of cheese to take up to, <laughs> quite to share the load. Yes, exactly yeah. That's, and yeah. so could you tell us about cabrales so it is you know it is this notorious blue cheese what what and what's what is it like in terms of sort of shape size texture well cabrales is a, they're kind of like a flat disc they tend to be about about two kilos normally when we get a kind of a, like we do get like a younger cabralis, so it's about two months, two and a half months old. But even then, the you know the bluing is really quite is quite defined. I suppose what's unusual about the, the cabralis is that um, it's a more compact cheese. So, say if you can imagine like a Stilton or a Pecos, mm. they've got their the way that the cheese is is um, the structure of the cheese. It's got mm-hmm. more holes in it, and you know, it allows yeah. more more oxygen into yeah. to allow the blue. The bluing, yeah. Whereas cabralis is. It's pretty solid, really. Ah, interesting. It's solid and, and creamy. And I mean, there's lots of different Cabralis makers, but the, 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 the Cabralis dairies I visited, they rely on um, natural natural blueing. I was going they to ask kind of rooms that just allow the air of the mountains to, to, to flow through, through right. you know, insect screens. Over the cheeses. And, and, yeah, yeah, just over the cheeses. And, and they, yeah. they blue naturally. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Gosh, because that, yeah. in a lot of blue cheese making is more controlled, isn't it? In that, uh, I think often it's penicillin roccaforte, as I understand it, that's put in yes. into the milk to allow, and then the oxygen, um, a cheese like Stilton is pierced um, to get the oxygen because that will allow the blue to to grow and spread, which is sort of what blue cheese makers want. So yeah. that interesting. So yeah. they're just working with yeah. nature then. Yes, yeah. And, and some of the cabralists, what they do sometimes is they they break up the cheese into a paste and then reform it. Oh. So then that makes them kind of much more potent and much more kind of yeah. uniformly blue, like more like yeah. you know, blue tag, in a way, <laughs> you can say, that kind of colour. That kind of, you know. That's interesting. And when you were choosing yeah. your, because, you know, you, you source very carefully at Brindisa, did you have a particular style of Cabrales that you wanted? You mentioned the maker. Is, is it something well, you've done? Yes. Yeah. I mean, we wanted one that wasn't, you know, going to blow your head off, really. <laughs> That, that, that was our, our, our criteria. <laughs> we wanted one, and, and we wanted one that was that was consistent. And um, because one of the things that happened with Cabralis, like originally in in the midst of time, is that it was a cooperative. And so right. when you when you bought the Cabralis, you had to buy from the cooperative, and so you never knew which dairy you were buying yeah. from. So sometimes you could buy the most amazing Cabralis, and the next time you could buy one which was just more you know run of the mill. Mm. And um, 
And so it was very difficult to kind of guarantee quality because you never knew what dairy was going to come from. <laughs> and that and it was one of the changes that they did to the cooperative was that was was, was to allow uh, cheesemakers to sell their own cheese di- directly to the ah, public. That's and then people had much more interest in, in improving the quality of the, of, of the cheese yeah. that, that they made. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that Which is interesting. It's been yeah. very successful, really. Yeah, good. And yeah. is it a popular? Is it probably popular in Spain, Cabrales? Um, is you know, would you, well, it's, in I mean, it's, it's very popular in in Asturias. And, oh, okay. uh, yes, I mean one of my colleagues at work. I mean, she used to have Cabrales sandwiches to you know at school for, for in, in, in the break. Wow. And, uh, I mean, Cabrales is cheese in Asturias. It's all it's all Cabrales. It's, yeah, that's, right. that's what people like. Yeah. I, I was wondering yeah. in the way, you know, that we have Stilton at Christmas time. I was wondering if there was that tradition in Spain of eating it that Christmas. Was it just, but it's just widely eaten in Asturias through the year then? Yes, it's, no, it's, eaten, it's eaten all year. And in, in Spain, the tradition it more is to eat is, is seafood. At Christmas, you know, kind of goose like barnacles things. and things like oh, that. Yes. You know. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so Cabrales is this famous blue cheese in Spain. What are, what are some of the other cheeses, Rupert? Well, one of the other um, blue cheeses from, from Asturias, which I find really fascinating, is one called uh, called Gamoneo, which is a, a valley <clears throat> which is kind of adjacent to the to the valley of, of, of Cabrales. They've got some. Like, they've still got some like really traditional uh, cheesemakers there, who use say like like a blend of milks so if you imagine you know the middle ages you had your goats your sheep and your cow mm. you just send them out into the onto the hillside and then when they came back at the end of the day you'd milk them and all that milk just goes into the same fat right. so you never know how much cow goat or yes. you don't know the proportions yeah and so yeah. there's a couple of people who still make the cheese in, in that way so there's there's a random element to it Mm. And uh, the Gamoneo also uses natural bluing, and for a Spanish cheese, it's it's strangely similar to a to British territorial in texture. Oh, it's got that kind of dry crumbliness, yes. you know, say of, of um, you know Lancashire or something yes. like that. Yeah. But oh, and also because they rely on on blue and natural bluing, they also do something which is unusual in cheese making, which is, means they don't turn the cheeses. Uh-huh. So and they're quite big, you know. They they're like yeah. a Stilton. They're kind of you know, eight eight kilo cheeses. Right. So you will get like the lower half will be quite blue, yeah. But there's more moisture, and then the upper half will, will be uh, white, Gosh, creamy white, that's color, creamy white color. And that's you know the, I don't know why they just that's just how they it do, is. They, that's just how they do it. That's how they like it. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a delicious cheese as well. It's you yeah. know it's one which is you know it's it's grow, definitely growing in popularity in in, in Spain. Um, yeah. because of the you know the way the animals are treated they're out on the hillside they eat right. natural pastures it's yeah. raw milk you know there's mm-hmm. loads of aspects of and and they're they're what's the word they're shepherd cheesemakers or oh, you know, okay. herder cheesemakers yes. so it's like quite yeah. a long day quite a long working day right yes for them. yeah Yes, and massive, you know, that's a venerable tradition isn't it it wasn't when you said about mm. not knowing the ratio of milk you know it's just done as what's there and I was thinking I make um a bramble jelly in the autumn I go and pick whatever I find so it's like you know rose hips hopefully some blackberries but hopefully rose hips I love the flavour crab apples mm. um elderberries and what's really nice is I can never repeat it because which is sort of fun because because you know I never really know what I found but I put it in and then the flavour will vary it must rather like for the cheese yeah. makers <laughs> yeah so sometimes it's kind of superb but then they can never you know you have to just thoroughly enjoy it while you've got it Yes. Yeah. And what, yeah. Are, what are some of the other blues in in Spain then? Well, there's there's um, I mean, in that in that range of mountains in in, in the Picos in, in Asturias, there's a new cheese called 
uh, it's called Mama Marisa, which is made by a dairy called uh, Resilo in Asturias. And they've, they've developed, you know, it's, it's a new cheese which they, they've developed and it's, and it's very much based on, a, on British recipes, British cheese making oh, recipes. Yeah. And um, they've got, because in that part of Asturias, they've got such a similar climate to us. You know, there's Atlantic weather coming in, there's very green pastures, mm-hmm. there's a tradition of, of raising cows, of, of, mm. uh, dairy. And um, so that so they've you know it's a superb cheese. I mean it's, it's absolutely delicious. So, yeah, but very similar to you know to a Stilton. Or I was going to say, like is it like a Stilton? Because I remember yeah, one of the things you've told me before, Rupert, is that the Spanish cheese thing is very fascinating because it's got you know it's great tradition traditions. But they say there is this, as in Britain, a sort of innovative you know new pe- people making new cheeses and playing around and experimenting, yes. which must be yeah. very interesting for you as a cheese lover to see. It's really inspiring, actually. I mean, there's kind of like two di- different kind of generations, I'd say. There's a mm. generation who, you know, they've been brought up as cheesemakers and they make the recipe that's, that's always been made. And then there's a kind of bit like a, well, you could say a younger generation who are inspired by, you know, a lot by what's been going on in the UK, but also by by the United States. Yes. And there's a young uh, cheesemaker who makes a, a, a cheese called uh, Picon Tresviso, which is another neighbouring another neighbouring valley. Mm-hmm. And and he's gone back to using the it's uh, well it's an Asturian brown cow with, oh. as opposed to to a Frisian cow so it's it's right. got a more a, a tastier milk it's got lower production yeah. right. and he's also uh, renovated his caves so when he took over the dairy from from his father he's kind of tweaked things and mm. uh, kind of uh, uh, kind of you know, modernised his facilities improved hygiene massively yeah. and change the breed so so even with these like very traditional you know mountain villages um yeah. you know people people do innovate yeah quite a lot yeah i mean that's interesting yeah. about the breed of the cow because that often comes up on i mean perhaps the example that leapt to my mind in britain was um johnny crickmore who's in suffolk who makes baron by god and they were dairy mm. farms and he was but he was told um by ivan Lutch is one of the very famous sort of um cheese gurus in the world of cheese that he needed different cow he needed different milk better milk for cheese making and recommended Montbelliards and Johnny um went off and got you know came back sold his cows it's a really big thing to do you know and and swapped you know changed breed um yeah but it's, you know it's all what it's all gone beautifully because he's making a, a very respected and very popular cheese are there ways that Spaniards enjoy um eating blue cheese would it would it be after a meal or is it you know is it served as a tapas oh well, I mean, I have had it. Um, there's a, a, a tapa in in, in, the, in, the, in northern Spain, you could say, which is like a it's like a blue cheese kind of uh, mixed with with cream or with cream cheese served mm-hmm. on 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 with, uh, with, oh. with walnuts. Oh, that sounds that's, very that's nice. quite nice. Yeah, yeah. They make a, a blue cheese sauce to go with to go with steak. Right. And um, and I have had, you know, there's quite an experimental uh, branch of S- Spanish gastronomy. And so I, I, ha- I have had uh, oh, yes. blue cheese ice cream as well. Which was, yeah, of course you, which of course you have. Which was different. Actually, I have made, I found a very interesting, a very good recipe off the internet for blue cheese ice cream. And uh, with it, and it had a, a couple of tablespoons of honey, and oh, it was it was good. very it was really yeah. very good actually it was very good yeah yeah. I mean it's interesting because when yeah. you talk about pairing blue cheese, you know it does get away with sweetness because of that sort of salty savouriness. Sweetness works very well as a as a partnership. 
Yeah. 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 I mean, in Spain, lots of times it'll be paired with with a Pedro Jimenez sherry, oh, yeah. which has got oh, this kind delicious. of sweet, kind of you know, raisiny. Yes. Kind of I was thinking it. of yeah. when you were talking. I was thinking of Moscatel raisins, which I'm addicted to. Um, mm. It's lovely dried. They've got such a beautiful flavour. I think. Yeah. That, yeah. That yeah. I mean, Cabrales and Moscatel raisins are, 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 for me are, are, are a match made in heaven. Lovely. Really, it's a really good, really good combination. Yes. Okay. Well, that is wonderful. Thank you, Rupert. That was such a. I love the way your, you know, your your knowledge of the geography of Spain is so really comes out when you talk to me about cheese. So it was lovely to have you uh-huh. back on the on the podcast. Thank you, Rupert. Yeah. No, no, thank you. I'm a huge fan of Peter's Yard's crackers, and they go beautifully with cheese. All Peter's Yard's crackers are made in small batches using quality natural ingredients, and they're sourdough starter slowly fermented for 16 hours for award-winning flavour and crunch. Online, on smart speakers and on Listen Again, this is Food FM. Savour the crunch of Peter's Yard sourdough crackers. Available at Waitrose, Tesco, Sainsbury's, Morrison's, Ocado, Amazon and specialist food retailers. This week on A Slice of Cheese, we're looking at the world of blue cheeses, and while Stilton is probably, you know, Britain's most famous and certainly most historic blue cheese, there are many other blue cheeses in Britain. So very happy to have with me today Mary Davenport of Coat Hill Cheese, who make Coat Hill Blue. Hello, Mary. Hello, Jenny. Thank you so much, Mary, for taking the time, because I know how busy cheesemakers are. First of all, I'd be lovely to hear the story of Coat Hill Cheese. How did it come about? You, as I gather, you were farmers, is that right? To begin with, yeah. dairy farmers, I'm yeah. assuming. dairy yes. farmers. Yeah, dairy farmers. Well, we came, um, my husband's parents came to the farm in 1965 or the Mm -hmm. early 1960s. In Lincolnshire, this is, isn't it? In Lincolnshire. Yeah. I'm a farmer's daughter from just up the road. Uh (laughs) And uh, I met Michael and the farm we were on was a very mixed farm. Um, And I married Michael and came down and learned all about dairy cows, which is a whole different ballgame. (laughs) <laughs> I bet, yes. Mm. Yeah, there must have been a lot of learning. And what, um, and dairy, you know, I've had quite a few of the sort of farmhouse cheesemakers have had, you know, it's been very tough for dairy farmers because of the sort of, you know, the way the milk price has fluctuated and, and mm. gone down, sadly. Mm. Um, mm. Is that is that one of the reasons why you, um, that, if that took you down the road to cheesemaking? That, that, that's the very reason. Um, uh-huh. We, Michael loves his cows, um, and just wanted to keep cows on the farm. The farm is a small farm, 184 acres, um, right. and the fields, we've always kept small paddocks, basically, which are ideal for dairy cows. Um, and he wanted to keep the cows above everything else. And so um, I was working at the time, and Michael decided to investigate cheese making. And this was... Mm-hmm. Um, nearly 20 years ago. Gosh, amazing. Um, yeah, so he took himself off on a cheesemaking course at Nantwich with the wonderful Chris Ashby. I don't right. know if you know her. And, I've heard uh, the name, yes, it's come up. Interesting, yeah. yeah. Chris Ashby and Val Bynes ran this course. Yes, I thought Val, sorry to interrupt, but Val Bynes has come up a lot too. I was talking to Mary Quick, who was talking, I think Val went there and helped worked with them. So Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and uh, Michael went off for two and a half, three days over to Cheshire and came back and said, we can do this. (laughs) The royal royal we. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. excellent. Yeah, yeah, and um, I'd always loved baking and uh, with with four children, it was a necessity really. 
and uh, so he knew that the skills would transfer. Right. Michael had always made home homemade beer. Oh, interesting. That so is interesting. Very interesting. Uh, a similar way of managing cleanliness and bacteria and. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it, it all sort of quite fitted in and he was yeah. very, very excited. And um, we had no money, um, but my brother-in-law very kindly said, I'll buy you a cheese vat. Oh, that was kind. <laughs> yes. Wasn't it lovely? So um, he invested in our first 200 litre cheese vat and we bought the moulds. And right. we, we, a friend of a friend knew somebody who supplied cheesemaking equipment. And at that time, there, wa- there wasn't a lot out there to, uh, to, to access in the way of equipment. But anyway, we mm. found these moulds and they came and off we went. Even in buying moulds, you're making a choice, aren't you? Had you already decided a sort of, A, had you decided a blue cheese? And if so, what, what you know, why a blue cheese? And, and did you also then think mm-hmm. about the shape and size of it yeah well on the um yes we decided on a blue cheese because we quite liked blue cheese and michael <laughs> said well if we're going to make cheese we might as well make something that we like yeah. and uh so we would we'd been buying our oh, santalgur and cambazola and we'd leaned towards the softer cheeses i quite liked stilton when it was milder yeah, uh, but not when it got stronger. And so, yeah. um, part of the course was making a, a soft blue cheese, and right. Michael said, "Well, it wasn't quite soft enough, so I'm going to do this, this, and this." And we didn't realise that when you're making cheese, you only change one thing at once <laughs> because you don't know yeah. otherwise what works. We didn't realise that at the time; we were quite naive. But Michael said, yeah. "I want to try this, this, and this." And our first right. batch is pretty much the same cheese that we make now. That's remarkable. Gosh, you were very lucky because some people spend ages. We we didn't find that out until a good time later when we talked to other cheesemakers, obviously, and they said, well, how long was it before you got this cheese? And we, well. Oh, it just sort of happened. (laughs) Bingo. That yeah. is brilliant. And so, yes, and I had a piece of it, so I don't really know what, what is the size. What, do you have different sizes or is that when you started making it? Is there one size? We have two sizes and, and obviously the cheese has evolved um, over the years, but um, it's about 1.3 kilos. It's the size of a Victoria sandwich cake. Lovely. Very easy to portion. And so having, you know, having taken that plunge into cheese making, which you seem to have embraced with great enthusiasm, how mm. did you... Then get it out, you know, how do you start taking it to market? Was was, was it farmer's markets or did you yes, get cheese? Yes, boxes? basically. So so we, we make the, the larger cutting cheese and then we make a smaller individual cheese, which is not tiny. It's about 360 grams. It's, it's uh-huh. a, a reasonable sized small blue. Yeah. Um, and so we went off with these cheeses and I just went to anything and everything locally mm. and we in the in the first year I'd got the energy and the enthusiasm and so off off I went and that's how we marketed it pretty much you know when you've got a food that's good I mean it's I, I, it's funny because people often grumble about farmers markets but when I talk to farmers and other food producers they're often very very important ways of 
of getting, you know, especially when you're making something new, yes. getting it to market. And as you get the feedback, because you know, you are literally giving it out, people try it, they can tell you, you know, and you see whether they like it or not, which is really useful, isn't it? Yeah, really, really encouraging to, to, to actually take it and let people try it and, and, and to get that all important feedback. I talked to a lovely Northern Irish cheesemaker. He's making a raw milk um, blue cheese and and he said he'd set up a market and he sort of watched this guy come over the cobbles towards him. He thought, oh, I've got, you know, got a wee sale coming up. And the guy came over and said to him, I didn't like blue cheese. And then walked away and he'd come over all the way to tell Mike that he didn't like what he was making. So I said, oh, that's rewarding. Absolutely. <laughs> One of those gritted teeth experiences, isn't it? When you say, right, well, disappear then. And actually, to go back to the to the milk, it's yours is a raw milk blue. Yes. That's correct. Yes. yes. And was that, um, is that something that was very important to you, to make a raw milk cheese? Well, it was. We'd, um, we'd entered the dairy competitions in Lincolnshire. There were, at, that time, at that time, there were quite a few um, milk producers in Lincolnshire. And we, Michael had always entered the competitions for um, everything that they did. And he'd all, for, well, a number of years, won the Clean Milk Trophy. Oh, fantastic. And it yeah. grieved him a little bit that the lorry came trundling down the lane and took our clean milk and put it in the tank with everybody else's milk, whatever oh. quality it was. Yes. And so it, it always miffed him a little bit. When he went on the cheesemaking course, he was with other um, enthusiasts of all sorts from all walks of life. And um, one of them was a cheese buyer and um, Michael picked his brains and said, well, um, what kind of cheese would be the best one to make? And he said, oh, raw milk, blue cheese. That is the most difficult. And Michael thought, I like a challenge. <laughs> and it just, it just yeah. pinged, you know, and he thought, right, here we go. So, and my clean milk, I know I've got clean milk. And off we went. That's very, isn't that interesting? And I mean, they must be very satisfying when I, yes, I've talked to other dairy farmers and, yes, sending their milk away, not knowing what happened to it. And there's such a difference when the farmer uses the milk that they've given from their cows mm. or, or other, other animals, sheep or goats, mm. and then mm. turn it into cheese. That mm. sort of excitement of actually then being able to, you know, you're making something from your milk. And, yes. and that must be very um, rewarding from the, that, that whole cycle, I suppose. It must be yes. very meaningful because you're looking after your animals in order to get the milk. So do you have to change the breed? What, what, what breed were your cows at this we point? Were, well, we were a cross between Holsteins and Frisians. And my, all we've really done is gone a little bit more down the Frisian route and we've added some brown Swiss. Aha, uh -huh, right. What were the, for, for cheesemaking reasons, the brown Swiss? Yes, um, and because they're quite hardy and they're good grazers. Um, yeah. And they add a bit of beauty to the herd. Yeah, lovely. Bit of how, how, many, how many cows do you have on the farm? Um, we're a little bit down, between 70 and 80, and then 40-ish followers, so right. young stock. Yes. So not, not huge, is it? Interesting. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. No. And how, so, t t so, so obviously you made, you know, so you, you, Michael had this idea of making cheese and making yeah. the blue cheese, mm -hmm. and you found a market for it. How, mm -hmm. did, how does that pattern then of... Um, of cheese making, how does how often do you make cheese on the farm? You, you know, you know, talk me through a week, I suppose, at Coat Hill Farm. Well, we make um, we make cheese four days a week, 
now right. it, we were pretty flexible at first because it was just myself and Michael so we could say mm-hmm. well I won't make cheese today I've got too many other things to do so <laughs> milk, the milk went in the tank at that yeah. time there was no problem with um, who we sold the milk to it didn't matter that there was two or three hundred liters less or more right um, and so but now we're into a pattern and we make four days a week and then Friday is wash down day Right. Um, And finishing off everything. And then obviously the staff have Saturday and Sunday off. So very civilised. Very civilised. Except near Christmas. Well, yes, quite. Yeah, yeah. And for, you know, yes, Christmas is such a busy time, isn't it? Mm. Um, So Mm. so tell me about the the making. So are you using Penicillin Rocky 40? Is that, you know, when you make the cheese? Yeah. 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 Um, And is the cheese pierced as you, you know, in order to... Yes, and we... We have always side pierced rather than top pierced. And we did we did at one stage consult Chris and say, what would happen if we top pierced? And she said, well, it would change your cheese completely. So we stuck with side piercing and didn't want to change that. We're quite happy with side piercing. I hand pierced um, during the time that I made cheese, but we did get a machine that... um, puts the, the, the cheese on its side and then needles come in sideways and pierce it. So it's it's right. it works quite well. So now obviously when you employ staff it's a bit safer if they put the cheese in a machine and it works. Just thinking of that course you've done, did did Michael go back to Chris Reed, you know, with some of the cheese you've made and say, I've made this, try you know, was there that moment where they got she got to try it? Well she did in a roundabout way, only when we we sort of, um, I can't remember how we came upon the British Cheese Awards and entered our cheese, but we did. We entered our cheese, must be in 2006. I think we made our first first batches in 2004, 2005, and then 2006 we entered. And we got a gold medal, and so that really, really <laughs> buoyed us up. And that took our cheese to the, the rest of the country, really. We should describe a Coke Hill because it's got a very particular. I mean, it's delicious. I I had something the other day and I, it was really nice, Mary. I, I um for lunch it was a very civilized lunch. I had sourdough bread, tasted um spread your cheese on it because it was it is soft. It had, does have a sort of spreadable quality to it, mm-hmm. and put walnuts on it and had a, a salad like a nice crisp salad on the side and it was really lovely. Um, Thank you. I thought it was quite mush. Had sort of mushroomy flavour yeah. to it. Yeah, that's yeah. perfect. What, I like okay. It. Good. <laughs> It's always a risk when you start talking something whose cheese <laughs> they've, they've made. Um, yes. Yeah, so, so, did you have this? Like the sort. So, it's a sort of. So, it's a, yeah, you said it's a soft blue. That was your yeah. style. So, Michael wanted that soft. You both we, wanted that soft texture. Yes. Yes, we yeah. did. We wanted that soft blue, um, and so we cut the curd larger than Michael had learned on his course, and we ladled it out very gently. And we still do that. I've been I've been helping them fill this morning, and uh, still exactly the same. Just ladle right. the curds out, and, and that gentle handling what is to keep the moisture to keep the curd intact. And how long does it stay on the farm for? Um, four weeks. It matures. Um, we uh, leave it in the make room um, overnight, draining. The next morning, it is dry salted, and then. The next day, day three, it is moved through to the maturation room at 12 degrees 
Did you have uh, to put that in specially once you, you know, once you got up and running? Um, we started with um, a cold store, a maturation room, and a make room. Okay, uh, that That's was we awesome. just we just that was we got a grant, uh, fortunately, and I had a little bit of savings, um, and we used the savings uh, together with the grant, and we had enough money to put up the three rooms. You made your cheese perfectly first time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And then, um, and then the first year, I made three three tons of cheese. We started, I think we started yes August. We started August, and it was on the on on the market for Christmas. And we yeah, we were very fortunate that we had a company called Parkview Foods in Market Raisin, and their mm-hmm. business was artisan cheese primarily, and they oh. were great supporters. Really yeah. helped us get the cheese out there yeah we had it on the market for Christmas and they were obviously very excited to have a uh, a new soft blue cheese along with Lincolnshire Poacher of course yes are they nearby I love Lincolnshire Poacher they're wonderful yes yes they're very very nearby and again we work very well together there's we always say theirs is the hard cheese in Lincolnshire more mature ours are the soft cheeses we say they're they're not strong, but they do have flavour. Very beautifully put, and absolutely true. I yeah. tried. They had. Um, I tried. Lincoln Poacher did this. They, because of lockdown, they, I think it's called the Big Fifty or something. Poacher Fifty. Yeah. Poacher Fifty. Yeah, Poacher Fifty. That's yeah. right. Which yeah. was made in because of lockdown. They they made just a different recipe to mature for longer. Yeah. Because of the unsafe. they wanted to you know to make sure their milk was good. Yeah. yeah, it was really delicious. And I was impressed because, you know, three years is a long time. And and yet actually it still had a sort of softness and a fruitiness to the, mm. to the cheese. It was very, very good. Very so, good. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Mm. So, yes. So. How, how have you found How did you, Michael, find the world of cheese? You know, um, you know, from, from the world of farming, entering the world of cheese, coming into contact with retailers, I presume, and, and customers. What was that like for you? Was that was it was it nice to sort of be able to connect people through through cheese, something you've made or food you've made? Oh, absolutely. And cheesemakers are very, very good at sharing information. Mm. And, you know, you sort of ask questions. Well, how do you get around this? And what about this? And so good at just passing it on and and just, well, enthusiastic. And there's always some new information to be found. (laughs) We've We've met some wonderful people and made some lovely friends. And have local restaurants um, been keen to use your cheese either in cooking or to put it on their cheese boards? Yeah, always um, local restaurants, local farm shops, Lincolnshire Co-op, just the Lincolnshire Co-op. We we, we yeah. cook cheese for them. That's really helpful. Um, yeah. And yeah, local chefs, really enthusiastic. And so off the milk on your farm, how much of it goes towards the cheese now? About a third at the moment. So we... Right. That we we like to keep the lorry coming down the road because that gives us flexibility. Quite useful, isn't it? Yes, yes. yes. It means that if somebody's on because we're only a small staff, if somebody's on holiday, you can bet your life that somebody else is poorly. Same as <laughs> the golden rule. <laughs> and then Joe, our son, is suddenly in the cheese room on his own, and he said. I'll put the cheese, I'll put the milk in the tank today, I think. <laughs> so um, that, your son has got involved in the cheese. How yes. long is it? It's passing down. That's yes. lovely. Yeah. So Joe yeah. decided to join us um, in 2010. Oh, brilliant. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that's and did he have a background? Had he done something totally different? And then, I mean, obviously he grew up on the farm, but 
Yeah. Had he gone off and done something and then come back to, yes. to it? Yeah. yeah, yeah. He went off. He was um, he was working um, surveying gas pipelines. Gosh, quite different. <laughs> quite um, different. Yeah. yeah, he was. Uh, he did a he did a um, an engineering design course at university. I got this job um, surveying pipelines and travelled quite a lot um, with the job. It was it was yeah. a very interesting job. But as with quite a lot of jobs, it came as he as he worked more. It became more um, office based and reports and paperwork. Yeah. He does not like paperwork. <laughs> um, much prefers to be hands-on, practical, fixing things, making cheese, and it all really? fitted in. And he's, he, I always say he's a much, much better cheesemaker than I am. He's more methodical. Right. That's is that what important? Do you think that's important? I mean, I'm I'm not a cheesemaker, mm. and and in fact, I'm not. Yes, and I do cook, you know, a lot. But baking, I always think baking. You've got to be very precise when you bake cakes are you not but you think that is different I am I am but Joe has a much greater attention to detail so much much more careful with his pHs monitoring his measurements but which improves the cheese obviously Mm. and Christmas and blue cheese is that is this is Christmas your busy busy time Mary it is yes we we are more busy at Christmas but Generally, we have a nice steady flow, and January is is quieter, but it's quite quick when the orders start to come back in. That's so right. We're quite lucky, yes, yeah. really. And one last question, Mary. What? So I enjoyed your cheese spread on toast with with walnuts. Is there a way that you like eating your own your own cheese, or you know, would you serve it to your family in a particular way? I just wondered if there was something you were fond of. Only. Um, really, I, I just like it with crackers and mm-hmm. grapes. I love grapes. Ah, and also, yeah. the other thing is pear. Pear and blue cheese is oh, really, yes. really lovely. Good. It's a lovely cheese. Congratulations to you. And how how nice that you've got your son is involved too. And, Thank and you. And it made a difference, I'm guessing, to your you know to yeah to the sort of economy of the farm. You found a way of making it making it viable for you. Oh yes, yes. It's it certainly has. And now we employ well. 10 people some part-time some full-time but yeah it's great to be able to do that and keep cows on the farm wonderful oh well thank you for taking the time mary much appreciated oh you're very welcome it's a pleasure talking to you thank you thank you mary bye-bye bye-bye with their delightfully crunchy texture peter's yard cider crackers go very well with cheese the crackers come in a lovely range of flavours, so you can have fun experimenting with matching them to different cheeses. You can really taste the fig in the fig and spelt sourdough crackers. The natural sweetness of these crackers makes them an excellent partner to blue cheeses, such as Roquefort, Gorgonzola, or Stilton. For further suggestions, have a look at the cheese pairing wheel on the Peters Yard website. Online, on smart speakers, and on Listen Again, this is Food FM. Savour the crunch of Peters Yard sourdough crackers. Available at Waitrose, Tesco, Sainsbury's, Morrison's, Ocado, Amazon and specialist food retailers. I'm very happy to have with me again Patrick McGuigan, cheese writer and educator, author of great cheese books with his latest being The Cheese Life, co-written with Matthew Carver. Hello, Patrick. Hi, Jenny. Very nice to have you back on my podcast. I always enjoy conversations, Patrick. This week, we're, we're looking at blue cheese and that, that term blue cheese, you know, which I sort of bandy about. What what does it 
what does it actually mean? What are blue cheeses? I thought we could start in a really fundamental way. What, what does it mean? Well, that's, good. that's a good question. I suppose what makes a blue cheese is the colour inside the cheese, where you have a particular type of mould growing, um, which gives this green to blue colour to the, to the cheese. And so you get veining or sort of pockets of, of this mould growing. The main mould variety, there's, there's one type, which is called uh, Penicillum Rock 40. And that is what makes blue cheese blue. And that's a really good visual clue. So, I mean, they're very recognisable, aren't they, when you go into a cheese shop and you can see blue cheese. And they do seem to me to be cheese that sort of divide. You know, some people love blue cheese and some people don't like them. And obviously I'm aware there, there are many, many different blue cheeses. But are there other characteristics overall in terms of flavour? Or, or is there just a massive sort of range of flavours you would get from, that, from the presence of that mould? So what happens with the, the way the mould gets into the cheese is it's, it's added by the cheesemaker as a, a powdered spores of, of this, this mould. I mean, it's part of the fungus family. So uh, it's added to, the, added to the milk, typically. And then what you need to do with a blue cheese in the maturing room is you need to spike it. So obviously a mould is not going to grow without oxygen. It's a living, it's a living organism. Um, so blue cheese is a, a spiked, and then once that air goes in, the the the, the mold comes to life, it has a good food source, and starts to grow. And what it's doing as it grows inside the cheese is it releases enzymes. This mold, which break down the fats and the proteins in the cheese during maturation, and as that happens, you get different flavours. Right. So typically with blue cheese, you know, a lot of the things that people associate with blue cheese are things like sort of spicy peppery notes Mm -hmm. often you get sort of almost like alcoholic fruity notes so pear and pear drops is a flavor that you that Mm. i often pick up in in blue cheeses and that is to do with how the proteins and the fats are being broken down by this uh blue mold that but there's a huge range of of styles of blue cheese so you know you i suppose if you go from sort of in intensity levels you know you can start with something like cambazola or montagnolo a fin um which are two german cheeses actually but sort of sound Mm -hmm. like they might be french or italian gorgonzola dolce which are on the more sort of mild end and i would say at the more sort of the very intense spicy end of things is there's a cheese called cabrales made in asturias um which is very intense um has quite a lot of of that sort of power and spice a lot of that is to do with how the cheeses are matured but also there are different strains of penicillin rock 40 so penicillin rock 40 is one type of mold um, but within that there are different strains so sometimes you'll get strains that are sort of milder and lighter in color you know you can see sort of mm-hmm. like sort of pastel green colors through to sort of dark indigo blues and they'll break the cheese down in slightly different ways and at different rates and give you different flavours. Interesting. My Christmas wouldn't be complete without Stilton. We have to mention that very famous British blue cheese there, I think, too. Um, yeah, and with a Colston Bassett Stilton, to be specific, and a Neil's Yard Dairy Colston Bassett Stilton, to be even more specific. <laughs> and also, there's also Stitchelton, which is a one, another wonderful cheese made from raw, raw milk, unlike Stilton. When you mentioned Penison Roccaforte... Probably one of the, you know, one of the great famous blue cheeses in the world is 
is Roquefort. That's something you, you've written about Roquefort, Patrick, in another of your books called The Philosophy of Cheese. It's got a lot of mythology, I think, associated with it, hasn't it? Tell, tell us that, that story. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm glad you mentioned Stilton because I think it's, before we get onto Roquefort, but Stilton is one of the great European blue cheeses. And I think as a country, we should cherish Stilton and eat it, not just at Christmas. It's a, it is a remarkable and delicious cheese. And I agree, Colston Bassett's excellent. I quite like Cropwell Bishop as well. Um, anyway, Roquefort, you know, another one of, I suppose the three great blue cheeses of Europe are Gorgonzola, Stilton and Roquefort, I would say. And mm. Roquefort in France is, has a really long history. Um, and, and in the research for the philosophy of cheese, you know, there's evidence of Roquefort being matured in the caves of Roquefort in the south of France um, from a, a 1070. So you're talking a thousand year old cheese. Yeah. So it's, you know, it, it, and it's one of the cheeses that keeps popping up in French history, you know, so it's one of the great famous cheeses that were, uh, were, were loved by, uh, that was loved by nobility and is well known across the whole of France. It's not just a regional cheese by any means. Right. That's interesting. And is there, there is a legend with it. I mean, you often come across this in food, don't you? Um, the sort of, the, the happy mistake in a way. It's, it's quite a trope that comes up in sort of, you know, in food, food legends, food urban myths, whatever you want to call them. So. Yeah, this, this, you're talking about the classic uh, love-struck shepherd, aren't you, Jenny? I, think. <laughs> I am. <laughs> yes. Um, so, you know, a good cheesemonger will tell you the story of um, the young shepherd uh, in Aveyron, which is, you know, Roquefort is a place uh, we should we should make clear in the south of France, a sort of central southern uh, in a region called Aveyron, which is the village of, of, of Roquefort is next to it, 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 what, what's important to understand is, is, is these amazing caves that are, are in the, mm. uh, the town of Roquefort, which essentially there's a, 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 there was a mountain called uh, Mont Combalou, which at some point in millions of years ago, sort of collapsed and created this amazing sort of cliff face and lots of natural limestone caves, mm. which, you know, before refrigeration caves were where you wanted to keep your cheese because they're cool and have high humidity and, and you know, gentle airflow. So they're, they're perfect mm. for cheese. So the story goes that a thousand years ago, a young shepherd with his, his flock of sheep was was wandering uh, uh, sort of along the, near the caves of Rockford. Um, and stopped for lunch and he had a, a plain fresh sheep's milk cheese so a sort of white cheese and some rye bread um, and he sat down for lunch at the, in the mouth of one of the caves and then I saw a beautiful woman uh, in the distance and uh, decided to leave his lunch and chase after this beautiful woman <laughs> he obviously got lucky because he didn't return for his lunch for a few days um, and the story goes that when he returned his it, the, the rye bread had gone mouldy and gone, and lots of blue mould growing on it, and the cheese had gone mouldy. And being, uh, you know, a, a, an adventurous young shepherd, he tried this this blue sheep's milk cheese, uh, and lo and behold, it was delicious. And Roquefort was born. There is absolutely no evidence to prove any of that. It's a <laughs> it's a lovely myth. It's and, a good and story. It's a good story, and <laughs> and you know, a good cheesemonger will tell you that. There's a very similar story. Uh, to do with Gorgonzola and how thought, Gorgonzola yeah, was discovered. Familiar, Very say. familiar, where a young cheesemaker yeah. chases yeah. off after a woman and his cheese turns blue and he tries it. Yeah. So who knows? But it's quite good fun. 
But the caves are very interesting, aren't they? Because again, the caves, Cabralis is matured in caves. Yes, I mean, it's, it's always very interesting when you, when the geography of place, you know, is, is present in a, in a story. And blue cheeses, they, they do like moisture. I mean, that's that, am I right in thinking that? That's something that, that they often matured in quite humid conditions. Yeah, cheese, cheese in general, you want to keep humidity high. Um, you don't want cheeses to dry out during maturation. Roquefort's matured sort of three to six months. Um, you know, up to six months, that's quite a long time for a blue cheese. Stilton's more like, for, is, is basically sort of three months, 12 weeks for Stilton. But it's the making of Roquefort. Presumably that is, the French have been very good at protecting their historic foods and drinks legally. It's something they've done. Um, is, and that, I'm guessing that Roquefort has, has that. Does it have a, what's called a, a PDO? A yeah, I mean, it, it, it certainly has a PDO. It's actually arguably the first sort of protected food um, in in, um, in history. So in 1411, King Charles VI uh, sort of specified that Roquefort cheese could only be aged in the in the Combalou caves so mm. it's, it's that's arguably the first sort of ever appellation for food in France was for Roquefort Amazing. it certainly got its first it was the first cheese to get an appellation de origine controle an AOC mm-hmm. uh, that was in 1925 uh, and then you know with the with the advent of the EU it has a what we you know a protected designation of origin which means that Roquefort can only be made with uh, milk from the Lacoon breed of sheep, which are a quite a hardy sheep variety that fare well in that hot, rocky uh, climate of, uh, of of where the cheese is made. It can only be made in Aveyron, Ode, uh, Gard, Herault, Lozère, and Tarn, which is actually quite sounds quite a lot, but that's a very small area. Right. Um, and by law, every wheel of Roquefort, which is typically about three kilos must spend at least a couple of weeks in one of the seven caves of, of Rockford. So even, you know, even if you're buying mm. like a value Rockford in a discount supermarket, mm-hmm. um, if it says Rockford, it's all of those things, raw milk made in Rockford and will have been aged in, in, in one of the caves. Gosh, that's um, quite a maintaining of tradition, isn't it? That's really interesting. I was wondering, um, do you, how would you characterize what if someone hadn't eaten it, Patrick? What would what would you say? How would you describe it in terms of texture and flavor? But then I was also wondering whether maybe they're different, you know, depending on on the affineur, perhaps whether Roquefort can be taken in different directions, or or is there very characteristic Roquefort style because of these strict controls on how it's made? No, they are they are different, you know, depending which producer you go for. I think Roquefort is typically saltier you know it's got a really salty tang to it compared um to some other blues certainly on that sort of milder end that i was talking about um and it's i often get i mentioned pear drops earlier i often get like that fruity sort of like fermented sort of slightly sort of fermented fruit Mm -hmm. almost boozy kind of flavor with Mm. with roquefort um, I, sometimes I think it can also I know be quite. Mean. That's a really good description of it. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 got a great texture as well, uh, Rockfall, which is quite. It's a soft cheese, but it has an almost like a sort of fondanty, like a fondant texture to it. Mm. So it's it's it can be a little bit grainy, but it's there's something about it. It's not like gooey, but it's got this lovely sort of. Firm yet soft, sort of 
yeah like a fondant is the best way i can describe it yeah texture mm-hmm. and and because you know it's very difficult to 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 have sheep's milk all year round you know with cows and with goats you can uh you can um get them to calve and kid at different times in the year so you have a, a year round milk supply mm-hmm. sheep that's very difficult so it's quite a seasonal cheese so you know milk supply is really from the sort of spring to autumn the, the traditional period when you know our animals um uh, they the sheep lamb in the in the spring yeah. and, and give you milk during the summer so the reason why you might get a three month rock four or a six month rock four is because they'll you know they have to mature them a bit longer to cover those winter periods um, right where they're not getting milk so yeah so you know it can be if, if you get a more mature rock four they're going to be even spicier and sort of stronger mm-hmm. and a younger yeah. one will be more of that sometimes there's like a minerality like a sort of quite nice mineral flavour to those younger ones. It's very hard to know what you're buying, you know, in a supermarket, sort of how old it is. It's quite hard to tell. But, you know, if you're buying Roquefort in the winter months, it's probably going to be a bit more mature than, you know, if you're buying it in the height of summer. And what would you... Are there pairings that you enjoy with Roquefort? Are there certain... Well, um, actually, I said pears, you know, a slice of ripe pear with with some rock four is a lovely sort of classic combination like and, and, and it's elusive fruit to get a right well, yeah i know <laughs> it's so tricky even the sort of supermarket you know specially ripened premium yeah. tier pears are never really that ripe are they but um no you but can get them you can right it's very exciting i do i buy um i love commons pears and i buy them from my the market store and the guy so you know he, he says oh yeah wait wait a bit you know any time I put them there and I'm just sort of checking them every day, every day. And then <laughs> and I hope I haven't missed the moment, you know. And and then when it's right, it's a joyous thing. And yeah, and, and lovely with, yeah, lovely with Roquefort. The drink of choice would be Sauternes in France, a, mm. uh, a sweet white wine made in, in Bordeaux, which is not a million miles away. It's funny, that part of France, it, it, sort of southern France, is known for its very tannic red wines, you know, very powerful, robust reds, mm-hmm. um, which... I, I'm sure in that part of France is what people will drink because that's what's being made. But personally, I think, you know, tannic reds and, and, a, and a creamy, spicy blue don't always work so well. I think dessert, sort of sweet wines yeah. work really well. Anything with a bit of sweetness. So actually sort of beers, you know, like porter or stouts work really well with blue cheese in general. But, you know, you know madeira port anything with a bit of sweetness so, perry, to go back to your pear theme yeah. perry would be lovely with it that's if you great it yes. yeah that yeah. would be great yeah that's a good idea perry and rockford i've got to try that <laughs> and what so rockford i mean you've talked about this lot this incredible tradition patrick but are there interesting developments in the world of of rockford that you're you're coming across in your research well there's a few few things that have cropped up i mean what's interesting they did some research on uh, penicillin rock 40 you know they've named this mold after rock four and historically the, re- the reason that 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 happened was the way that cheesemakers historically would get the mold into the milk before the you know we had culture houses and um sort of commercial labs that would develop mold strains which is what happens mm-hmm. now you can buy a packet of penicillin rock 40 and add it to your milk but before that people the, the cheesemakers used to leave uh rye bread in the caves to go moldy 
and and so you'd get lots of blue mold naturally growing on the rye bread that dry that out and actually crumble the moldy bread into the milk and that was a way of inoculating the milk um mm. with with the spores of the of the blue mold um and so for a long time people have thought that the penicillin rock 40 was in these caves was in the soil or in the rocks the limestone in the fabric of the caves but there was some research done in 2019 where they actually sort of took samples off the walls uh, of the caves uh, and 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 couldn't find any penicillin rock 40 actually in the <laughs> caves and so they they think that the penicillin that the spores of, of the blue mold are actually coming uh, from either something that perhaps the sheep are eating mm-hmm. and so it's or, or it's in the natural environment where the sheep are and is then sort of inoculating the milk in the dairy before it, the, the cheeses ever get to the caves or perhaps there was something in the rye bread you know so it's actually the flour that had the spores in and you make okay. the rye bread yeah. and yeah. the sort of the spores the blue spores already in the bread you probably don't actually need to mature rock four in the caves <laughs> but anyway it is written into the law so by law you do have to yes. mature them there so um so that was quite interesting that you know this this history around the caves being vitally important to giving the blue to the blue cheese is actually not necessarily true which i thought was quite interesting it is interesting um, and and what the other thing that's happened i mean rock four production has i think has declined steadily over the years you know it's it's a cheese that even in France, is not as popular as it once was. As it, as oh, it once was, right. um, and that's partly because there's other styles of blue cheese in France that have have grown up, you know, and, mm-hmm. and developed. Um, and and also Roquefort has, although it's protected, and it, you know, it, it, a lot of uh, the rules are enshrined, and you know, raw milk and sheep breeds and so on. It is actually quite, it's sort of dominated by one or two big companies who who buy milk from lots of different farms um and make on quite a large scale so there's one called right. Societe, um which is owned by lactalis which is one of the big dairy multinationals and i think Societe uh, accounts for sort of 60 maybe 70 percent of all what for production mm. uh, and so they own a lot of i, mean, I think they're sort of seven caves and some of those caves are like networks of caves and and so lactalis owns obviously a huge amount of of the maturing space right um and so it's sort of slight you know it's 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 one of those where although it's protected it is sort of being it has been sort of undermined i think a little bit over the years so it's you know there's, there's one or two very small producers left but they're still buying milk from multiple farms you know there isn't a single farm based uh with one flock of sheep right. making rock for yeah um so that's definitely been a trend the, the 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 kind of it's such a big brand international brand rock for mm-hmm. that bigger players have moved in on it is there are there interesting developments to that with, with the mold i was just wondering if that was is that are people experimenting with that or was that too too difficult no, well, yeah. So there has been a, a, there's a at Nottingham University there was um, some research done looking at uh, penicillin rock forty. For a long time, it's thought that it was asexual, so um, it it would uh, kind of reproduce um, by itself. 
and and the different strains that you found have been through sort of genetic uh, glitches as as the as the uh, the mold has sort of reproduced uh, asexually. However, uh, in recently, Nottingham University has discovered it is possible to to cross strains and to and for mm. Penicillin Rock Forty different strains to be, you know, bred together to come up with new varieties. So this is not using GMO or anything like that. It's actually, you know, getting two different strains of Penicillin Rock 40, you know, turning the lights down, putting some soft music (laughs) on, I don't know, candlelight dinner. Going back to that shepherd story that, you know, there's a romance theme running through here, isn't there? Yeah, so if you can get get certain strains in the mood... (laughs) You can cross yeah. them and they'll create new strains. Um, and so that this is quite groundbreaking sort of development. Um, so, so this, this, there's a company that's been formed uh, that is doing this called Myconios, who are mm. creating brand new strains of penicillin Rock 40 naturally by crossing existing strains and finding strains of, of penicillin Rock 40 in the wild and trying to cross them with, oh, with those that have been cultured in labs and they've come up with a range of new strains of penicillin rock 40 that work at, that will do different things they might have different colors or they'll be more aggressive in how they break the cheese down or more gentle or and so that's really interesting and i know a lot of blue cheese makers certainly in the uk i know i'm pretty sure a few stilton makers have been talking to them and and trying out new um strains of penicillin rock 40 to develop interesting new blue cheeses um so that's quite an exciting development that is exciting yeah um, that's brilliant yeah i didn't know about yeah i mean that's and that must be great for the cheesemakers in a way to have a you know another a new ingredient to play with and that's you know we that's what we'll be back in a few years talking about you know new new versions cheeses blue cheeses you know made with these new type of uh is New Rock Forty? They just need to. They just need to get those those molds in the mood, and uh, hopefully, we'll have lots of exciting new cheeses further down the line. Lovely. Oh, Patrick, it was really lovely to talk to you. Thank you for that um, lovely journey. That was great. Or right, take care. Thank you, Patrick. My pleasure. Thanks, Jenny. Take care. To find out more about Food FM and our content, go to foodfmradio.com. Thank you so much for listening to a slice of cheese. I hope you've enjoyed it. If you have enjoyed it, it would be lovely if you could rate us on wherever you've found this podcast. It will make such a difference to us. So I hope you'll enjoy us again. Thank you very much.